Hi friends and welcome to the T21 Mom podcast and this is episode 81. My name is Mary and I'll be your host and as always my good friend Ron who's also our co-host is with me today. Hey Mary. Hey Ron. How's the barbecue? It was fantastic. Good. It's always good to get together with family. Yes, got to also have Dennis's family. Most of his family was here too because oh, his brother and two nephews are in town. So, which is wonderful. Great. Yeah. Great. Uh, anything else going on? P and E's coming up. Yes, looking forward to that. And so. for those who don't know, that's the Pacific National Exhibition. Yeah, the fair. Yeah, <laughs> and I heard some really bad news today about the P and E. What? Oh, I heard it too. The little donut people are not allowed to be there. I know. The P and E have kicked them out. I know that's pretty sad, actually. That's one Those thing I always donuts. look forward to. Hmm? Those are good donuts. I know. There's nothing quite like them. <laughs> which is which is one of the reasons you know so many people go to the P and I know. Anyway, I know. That's a, that's a side of what we're doing with today. <laughs> um, today is a very serious topic, mm-hmm. very intense topics for especially for a lot of parents. For sure. Uh, and uh, who is our guest? Our guest today is Dr. Liz Head of the University of California, Irvine, and she is a professor and a researcher there. Her primary focus is research and her specialty, you want to call it that, her research is based on Down syndrome and Alzheimer's. So like you said, it's a pretty intense topic, but it was so fascinating to talk to her and I learned so much from our conversation and I really hope it will benefit other parents. I'm sure it will. I learned a lot from it. Okay. Let's go listen up. Okay. Let's go. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, I'm talking with Dr. Liz Head of the University of California, Irvine, and we are talking about a very serious subject in our Down syndrome community, Alzheimer's and Down syndrome. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about you and what made you interested in researching this in our population? So, um, so I, I grew up in Toronto, so mm-hmm. I'm a Canadian like, like you, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, go Canada, and, uh, and finished my master's and PhD uh, up at University of Toronto and then came down here to UCI to do what's called postdoctoral training. So you get your PhD and then you go and train for more years. Um, and it was down here where I was introduced to a pediatric neurologist. His name is Ira Lott. And um, Ira had, had, has a clinic for people with Down syndrome that he'd been following for many years. And of course, all his little ones were starting to get grow up into adults and some of his adults were going into older people. And he became very interested in Alzheimer's disease and his clinic populations. And so we started to talk about what was happening um, for people with Down syndrome, and that's how I became engaged. I don't actually have anyone in my family with Down syndrome, um, but boy, oh boy, have I ever developed a passion for this just based on interacting with families and, and people with Down syndrome. So that's how I kind of got to where I am. Fantastic. Well, I love hearing those kind of stories, like how people get involved. And it's really interesting when they don't have any kind of prior association with Down syndrome. So that's awesome and we're really grateful for the work that you're doing because it's going to benefit our kids in so many ways so i'm really thankful about that 
So I know this is like such a serious subject in our community and just in general at large, but can you first explain the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's disease as often people use these terms interchangeably? So dementia um, really kind of defines the clinical presentation of problems with memory, getting lost, behavioral changes. So it describes kind of a cluster of symptoms and that's dementia. But there are many causes of dementia. So think of dementia as the umbrella. Mm -hmm. And then there are many things that kind of feed into that. Um, the most common cause of dementia in people is Alzheimer's disease, which means okay. there's specific brain changes that we look for and that's what's causing the problem. There are other kinds of causes of dementia like Lewy body disease mm -hmm. causes dementia. And um, that's caused by a different change in the brain. So they kind of look similar in terms of they're all uh, people who have dementia. <clears throat> Although the, the constellation can be a little different depending on the cause, mm -hmm. but that's how you can distinguish Alzheimer's disease, which is the actual biological cause of the dementia which is the expression of the symptoms. Which would present differently than, for example, for example, Lewy body. Lewy body disease or say frontotemporal dementia or progressive supranuclear palsy. There's multiple causes of dementia. Some are reversible. Oh, wow. I did um, not know that. The scenario, yeah. Yeah, um, okay. But yeah, so the most common is Alzheimer's disease, but it's, it's okay to use them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. um, when we're you know publishing work and talking about it we try to be very precise about what kind of dementia we're talking about mm -hmm. but that's the, that's how you distinguish the two okay thank you i i kind of which we'll get into is i kind of understood that the umbrella but i i loved how you presented it and made it very clear for people but it's also great to know that you can use either term interchangeably yeah. so which is which is great and, and you know some people don't know what the cause is Mm -hmm. so call it what it is. It's a dementia. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So both my mom and my aunt, uh, my mom's sister had late onset Alzheimer's. So this is all very close to my heart. Can you explain why the Down syndrome population has such a higher risk of getting this disease? Right. So the primary reason is because of that extra copy of chromosome 21. Mm -hmm. And on that chromosome, there's, there's lots of genes, 300 to 400, depending what you read, genes on that chromosome. So that means people with Down syndrome are making lots of extra proteins. One of the genes on chromosome 21 is called the amyloid precursor protein, mm -hmm. uh, which we call APP. Okay. And um, so that genes on chromosome 21, which means everybody with Down syndrome is making too much of this APP. And this APP is a very long protein mm -hmm. and it gets cut like scissors into smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces that gets cut into is a protein called beta amyloid. And that protein should trigger a lot of memories for people because that's what we know makes plaques in the brain and is one of the, the leading causes, depending on what you read, what you <laughs> believe. Um, but certainly beta amyloid is very important for Alzheimer's disease. And so, um, so what this means for people with Down syndrome is they're making too much beta amyloid protein, even when they're little bitty, all the way up until when they get older. And um, this leads to a progression of events that happens a lot younger for people with Down syndrome that you might see in late onset. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, they are developing plaques. And after that, they develop neurofibrillary tangles, which is the second piece you need for Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. And all of this really happens between the ages of 30 and 40. It happens very quickly. Wow. But what it is really interesting, and this is where I think we have a better shot in some ways of finding ways to prevent Alzheimer's disease and people with Down syndrome, is a person with Down syndrome can get into their 30s without making plaques, even though they're making too much protein. So their brains are compensating. And it's gonna be really important for us to understand how, because if we figure that out, then we can just keep pushing that forward so that those plaques never make, I mean, those proteins never make plaques. So, um, so all that to say, usually by 40, a person with Down syndrome has full Alzheimer's in their brains. There's some good news before, okay. don't panic. Okay. <laughs> um, but yes, it happens much, much younger because of this gene, too many copies of this gene. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So is there, like to have the plaques, do you have to have the plaques and the tangles to, I guess, essentially create Alzheimer's? You do. So it's by definition, Alzheimer's disease is having sufficient numbers of plaques and tangles in your brain. So um, as we all get older, everybody, we all develop some plaques and we all develop some tangles. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my jobs here is I I work with human brains. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a lot of human brains, normal, normal aging people. And it's remarkable how much pathology you can find. Mm-hmm. So yes, you need both. You need both. So if they figured out a way to eliminate one, mm-hmm. then that would prevent, theoretically, Alzheimer's. By definition. Okay. <laughs> by definition. Whether or not it actually slows progression of the disease, stops it in its tracks, mm-hmm. um, is, a, is kind of a different question. Mm-hmm. So uh, it looks pretty much like you don't see the tangles until after you see the plaques. Okay. This is for Alzheimer's disease. There's other kinds of dementia that are really all about tangles. Okay. Um, So that's why if you think about it, if there was a way for us to stop plaques, in theory, that should prevent the tangles. You should be preventing Alzheimer's disease. And that's where a lot of the field, a good chunk of the field is working on this there's another big chunk going on we can talk about later but in theory okay Mm -hmm. that makes sense okay so because of the higher incidence of alzheimer's in our down syndrome population and just how prevalent it is in just the typical population i mean you've kind of touched on it but do you do researchers like yourself think that down syndrome might be the link to solving the mystery of this devastating illness like across the board? Yes, I think there's a huge amount we can learn from people with Down syndrome that in theory, we can again, take to everybody. And um, because in some ways, things are easier to understand for people with Down syndrome, because all the Alzheimer's changes are very, very age dependent. Okay. We know what's going on in their 20s, their 30s, and their 40s, and their 50s, and their 60s. But in the general population, the age of onset of Alzheimer's disease can be 65 to 105. Mm-hmm. So um, if we, I think what we can learn most from people with Down syndrome is kind of the order of changes or order of events that will help us clarify things in the, the late onset 
Alzheimer's disease world. Okay. <clears throat> so I think yes, for sure. There's definitely a lot that can be taken over to everybody. But we're also learning a couple of interesting things, and that is there are some changes that happen um, in the brains of people with Down syndrome as they get older that are different from what we see in late onset Alzheimer's disease. Okay. And, um, you know, for example, we see a lot more inflammation in the brain than we oh. see in sporadic Alzheimer's. And I don't know if that's because everything is so fast and in a shortened timeline that it just really causes a lot of inflammation. Mm -hmm. um, or is it something very unique to people with Down syndrome? And I suspect some of it's unique because there's a lot of genes on chromosome 21 that relate to inflammation. Uh, okay. So, um, so in my perfect world, I focus on understanding aging and Alzheimer's for people with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I'd like to see dedicated clinical trials that really look at this properly. And then whatever we learn from that, I'm happy to see people translate into the, the bigger population if it helps clarify some of these events. So I think going the reverse, taking what we learned from late onset Alzheimer's disease doesn't map as perfectly for people with Down syndrome. Okay. So, yeah. So I think, yes, very much so. There's mm -hmm. kind of a greater good outcome in really working with people with Down syndrome um, that maybe is unique and maybe in some ways a little easier to understand than say if we try to translate familial Alzheimer's disease mm -hmm. to late onset and familial is all genetic. It's yes. Mutations. It's all mutations. So, um, so little different scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. You just always have to be a little careful how you map things back and forth. Interesting. Yeah, I think how amazing it would be if our kids, our mm -hmm. Down syndrome population, provided the key to solving Alzheimer's. And they might very well. Yeah. Might very well. I don't think that's a pipe dream at all. No, I don't think so either from like just listening to you talk and, and all the things that I ha have read. So it's very exciting that I, that I, fingers crossed that there'll be something, you know, obviously sooner rather than later, but. Oh, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and our kids, you know, they're living longer and longer lives now. Like, I mean, I think in the eighties, it was up to 20 or 25. And now last I read, I think people at Down syndrome are living well into their sixties, which is very exciting. But at around what age do people at Down syndrome typically get diagnosed with Alzheimer's? Mm -hmm. But approximately what age does it start showing up? Mm -hmm. Excellent questions. So we already talked about the brain changes being mm -hmm. around 40. Mm -hmm. um, it's turning out and it's really remarkably consistent across many studies around the world from England, from Spain, from here in the US, um, that the earliest signs of dementia might start to show up around 53 to 55 years of age. Okay. Okay, now let me qualify some of that because mm -hmm. I don't want everybody to think, oh, oh that's, the bad age, I need to be careful. It's a curve. It's a bell curve. Mm -hmm. So that's where most people do. Some people develop a little bit earlier and some people don't develop it until their late 60s, even early 70s. But what's very cool, there's two things that are really, really cool that I think this gives us some hints about prevention. Um, one is there's almost 15% of people with Down syndrome don't develop dementia at all. 
Wow. Despite the fact they've got all this brain pathology. So that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. What is going on with these folks? What are they doing? Is there other genetics involved? You know, um, so these people are going to really teach us a lot. The second thing is if all the brain changes are there by 40, but they don't show signs of dementia until 53, 55, that's 10 years where their brains somehow are compensating for mm-hmm. all this pathology. How? What proteins are going up, down? Are they related to chromosome 21? So there's another kind of period of life there that is incredibly informative for us because if we can figure out what those pathways are, then it calls out for a, a treatment study to see if we can prevent everybody with Down syndrome from showing you know, changes clinically. So that's kind of your thumbnail. Over 50, you start getting into, the risk starts to really go up. Of course. For, for and, clinical changes. Right, and I mean, even in the typical population, I think it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's after 65, is it? Right. That's yeah. yeah, again, that's kind of by definition, that's a bit of an arbitrary cutoff. Yeah. Um, you know, but we have to use something. Um, of course. But if, if you have the genetic forms with the mutations, um, there are some people who are affected in our 20s. That's yeah. really aggressive. So, um, but yeah, that's about the rough age. Right. Okay. Now, what kind of signs should we look out for that could be indicative of Alzheimer's? Because like you said, there is a bell curve. So some are going to start showing it earlier uh, and some later. So what are some sort of things that we should look out for? Sure. Um, So I'll give you kind of a a more simple answer, but understand there's a huge amount of science to research going on to figure that out. Okay. In a much better way. The simplest answer is to, if you notice change, change, and this works for late onset, a change okay. in function. So um, that person suddenly forgets where they put their things, um, forgets that they, you know, if they're driving where they park the car, mm-hmm. uh, forgets to take medicine. Um, and then there's really for people with Down syndrome, I hear the most common thing from families is behavioral changes that that person, <clears throat> loses interest in their favorite hobbies. They lose interest in being out with people, uh, become a lot more withdrawn. Mm-hmm. So those might actually show up even or more noticeable to families than memory problems. Okay. So um, those would things I'd watch for. Um, the story gets a little more complicated because you have to understand why those changes are happening. Mm-hmm. And so um, clinicians would, should be asking questions about, has there been a change at home? Mm-hmm. Right? Was there a loss in the family? Um, did they retire? Uh, I had a couple who had a divorce mm-hmm. that led to a lot of withdrawal and behavioral changes that could look like a dementia, but you know, mm-hmm. be managed differently. Depression um, not only is associated with the earliest signs of dementia, but can also cause dementia in the long run. Um, it's a risk factor for dementia. So I think the biggest thing to notice is <clears throat> change. You you know your loved one with Down syndrome mm-hmm. better than anybody. If you start to see behavioral changes, um, then that's probably your cue to go visit the doctor and, and start a workup and, and see what's happening. There could be other 
you know, co-occurring illnesses that mm -hmm. are being managed that maybe need to be revisited, like hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. Always good to keep a check on that because it can yep. be a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that can cause some cognitive problems as well. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Good to know. And I thought that was one going to be probably the main answer, but yeah. interesting to again, how it can present differently in the typical than the typical population as compared to the Down syndrome population. And, and like you said, I remember my mom became more forgetful and, mm -hmm. and, you know, my mom and my aunt, they presented very differently. Um, my aunt had a lot of hallucinations. My mom did not. Whereas my aunt, you could still have a relatively current conversation my mom not always so mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. interesting they were sisters but they presented very differently very differently yeah and, and it can fluctuate you can have good and bad days too of course yes right. most definitely yeah mm -hmm. yeah this yeah i definitely saw that with both of them now how do they even test for alzheimer's in the down syndrome population i from what i recall and maybe it's changed but in the typical population they do what I've known as, as was called like the mini mental, but I don't think that would even be applicable in the Down syndrome population. So how, how do they test for it? Because I know technically you can't definitively tell if someone's had Alzheimer's until after they've passed away. So, so how do we, how do we do this? Yeah. So, you know, in an, in an Alzheimer's disease clinic, um, a person usually goes in and gets a neurologic exam and then they do a whole bunch of neuropsychology psychological tests together, learning and memory and how their frontal lobes are working and their language. Those tests obviously don't work well for people with Down syndrome because there's a, it's very heavy on the language component. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, there's really amazing neuropsychologists around the world that have come up with ways to assess learning and memory in people with Down syndrome uh, with, with the understanding of the background intellectual disability and range in ID. So, um, so there's two kinds of tests that we typically use. One are measures that we take directly from that person with Down syndrome, and we have versions of these tests mm -hmm. that they can do. And the other thing we do is we interview the family okay. or the major care partner of that person and ask them for their observations. You know, are they showing this behavior? Yes. Is this something they've always done or is this new? So then what happens is the team kind of comes together and discusses that person and says, okay, they look like they're really showing changes. Um, and I think in a clinical setting, you really do want your doctor to, to check all those, you know, other conditions that are ongoing that could potentially like vitamin D levels, like some of the low hanging fruit stuff, like everybody, you know, check your vitamin D. I mean, in Canada, heck, we always have the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and hypothyroidism um, is, 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 sleep, is sleep apnea really a big problem because sleep apnea affects everybody the same way. It causes fogginess. You know, it's hard to remember when you're not getting sleep. Mm -hmm. so, um, so usually that, you know, that's kind of a set of things that we would do. But sometimes it's really hard to tell even then on a single visit because mm -hmm. The clinician doesn't know that person well, or people are unsure if that's a change or that's how they really were. So the best way is you do a repeat assessment about a year later. And I know it sounds like forever, yeah. feels like forever. Um, I think actually for people with Down syndrome, I'd love to see it at six months and then reassess 
and okay. it changed, then everybody feels, okay, I'm pretty sure we're going down, we're going down that road. So that's how, and it's certainly in a research setting, we do a lot more, mm-hmm. but in a clinic setting, the mini mental definitely will not, will not work for people with Down syndrome. And so probably clinicians are going to rely most heavily on what um, the family says or what the care partner says. Okay, interesting. I was very curious how they tested. Mm-hmm. And although my mom and aunt had the later onset Alzheimer's, not early onset, which there's not always, but typically a hereditary link, it still concerns me, obviously, and even more so for my daughter. What are other risks that people with Down syndrome have in getting Alzheimer's? There's a, there's a bunch of risks. There's also some really cool protective factors that are happening for people with Down syndrome. Um, so uh, sleep apnea, I, I brought it up once. It's becoming mm-hmm. incredibly important to us to understand because the prevalence of sleep apnea in people with Down syndrome is extremely high. Mm-hmm. And it's underdiagnosed <clears throat> and um, it's undertreated. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes the idea of CPAP. Yeah. And, and, and some families are absolutely convinced their loved one will not tolerate that, you know, intervention. And, so, and sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's surprising mm-hmm. if you try. Yeah. And there's other treatments for sleep apnea. So if sleep apnea can be managed, even, you know, even little babies have sleep apnea with Down mm-hmm. syndrome, the sooner that's diagnosed and managed, already the brain is in a better place. Okay. For development and also for aging. So that's a biggie. Um, other co-occurring illnesses that need to be managed, like um, you know, some folks with Down syndrome will develop hypercholesteremia, just like the rest of us. You know, too much cholesterol in our blood and triglycerides. Um, those are all risk factors. Uh, being obese or overweight is also a risk factor. Mm-hmm. At least a lot of metabolic changes that hit your brain. Um, anything to do with the heart um, also directly affects your brain. And this is where people with Down syndrome have a step up on everybody. And that is um, they don't typically develop hypertension, right. which is pretty cool. Yeah, right? I didn't know and that. I don't I know if I understand the genetics behind it. I'm hoping there's a good group of people looking at that. But if you don't have hypertension, then that your brain is in a healthier spot as you age. And that's a huge risk factor in the general population, just managing your blood pressure. Um, and you know, the, the obesity and overweight can lead to type two diabetes, mm-hmm. which is also a big risk factor that contributes to Alzheimer's disease. So, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of the risk factors overlap with late onset and in people with Down syndrome except that for people with Down syndrome, there's far more prevalent risk factors that could be managed, if that makes sense. Okay. There's more frequency of these things in people with Down syndrome. So I think we really, really need to focus on this. Um, We all understand it's way better to prevent Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been trying to treat it with with very limited success. Mm -hmm. If you could just, and there's calculations out there, papers, People have published papers describing if you reduced your risk of, you know, if you reduce your risk by reducing hypertension, by maintaining a healthy body weight, by treating your sleep apnea, the cumulative risk drops dramatically. 
Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So the more things you kind of manage risk-wise, the better your chances are preventing Alzheimer's disease. In fact, this is really where the field is going. Yes, we are trying to find treatments and trying mm-hmm. to find interventions, uh, medicines, vaccines, but it's remarkable how lifestyle and, and, and managing illnesses really contributes to this risk. And that would play what, play for both the Down syndrome population and the typical population. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't c- control your cholesterol, it's, it leads to pathology in your brain. It's not directly Alzheimer's pathology. It's more to do with your blood vessels. Mm-hmm. But if the blood vessels in your brain aren't healthy, right? obviously that's going to be a problem, right? Um, so, and diabetes is, it's rather striking. It's more of a risk again for blood vessel problems in your brain, but mm-hmm. all of these things in combination can drive dementia. And that's what we want to stop, right? Of course. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I've also read that the prevalence of Alzheimer's is higher in women in the typical population. Is this also true in the Down syndrome population? And do they know why this is? So actually the the, the sex differences story for late onset Alzheimer's is, is going is really exciting right now. There's fantastic people looking at this problem. And um, there's some hints biologically of why that could be. Uh, it could be related to estrogen. Uh, it could be related to the X chromosome. Um, all kinds of things are out there being explored. So when you look at this for people with Down syndrome, the story is not simple. The story <laughs> is really not simple. Um, I have a really wonderful graduate student. Her name is Elizabeth Andrews, another Elizabeth. <laughs> and uh, this is her, her area of focus for her dissertation. And the first thing she did was reviewed all the literature, of which there's not a huge amount. Mm-hmm. And different papers say different things. Uh, a recent paper out of MGH says, nope, there's no impact of sex on onset of dementia, age of onset, or rate of decline. Um, another paper that was just published, actually, I think only a couple months ago, said, well, no, it's worse for men over the age of 60. And then there's other papers that show, oh, no, women are you know, way more vulnerable to development of early onset of dementia when they have Down syndrome compared to men, especially postmenopausal. Okay. We have Down syndrome. So we have a problem in that most of these studies, not all of them, are based on um, medium-sized groups of people. Some are a little bit bigger, but now what's happening, there's so many big, big studies going on around the world and we all work together. Oh, fantastic. That we're going to get a much better handle on this question because I don't know if we ask that question in, in our group of people who are here in California, that answer might be different from another group of people who are in, in Kentucky, for example, Okay. because it's intertwined with their environment. So we need big numbers to really understand it. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly what Ellie's finding out <clears throat> is there, there are d- changes in the estrogen receptors. Um, and the brains of women as they get older uh, with Down syndrome. So, um, so the, the, the simple answer is there's definitely a sex thing going on, sex difference mm-hmm. going on. We don't quite understand what direction it's all going. And um, the biological underpinnings of that are an active area of research right now. 
So maybe if we talk again in another year or two, I can tell you what Ellie's, okay. what Ellie's figuring out for us. Okay, well, we can do that for sure. Now, I know you've talked a little bit about like what we can do to help prevent Alzheimer's you know, you always hear about like keeping your brain active, like doing, you know, my mom used to do crossword puzzles all the time. And, and I could see that she started not being able to complete them and that like, and, and I knew at that time that she'd had Alzheimer's, but I see that mm -hmm. she, I could see like how that was progressing. So like, you know, doing like Sudoku, maybe even Wordle, <laughs> like it's crazy, but some of these are maybe too challenging for our kids. So mm -hmm. like, what do you suggest? Like, I mean, obviously like it, like, diet i mean obviously exercise is important mm -hmm. uh like what are some things that we can do specifically for our kids right. to help prevent i think all of the things that you just mentioned um you know brain games exercise food good nutrition all of those things there's just beautiful beautiful data out there in the world showing they consistently reduce your risk uh and they can consistently keep your cognition where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about brain games, for example, it doesn't have to necessarily be something like Wordle or crosswords or Sudoku. It could be things like learning how to cook a new recipe. Okay. Okay. It could be playing on a piano, um, yoga, because every, all those things are, there's a learning piece to it. Okay. Yeah. There's a physical piece to it. And then if it's like a class, mm-hmm. There's a social piece to it. So you pretty much got all your bits and bobs in there at once and you have a great experience for your kids. So um, I'm, I always think of the, the cognitive training part of it as not necessarily puzzles per se, mm. just learning, learning things. Okay. Right, learning, learning, I don't know. Cooking is a good one. I love the idea of learning how to cook mm -hmm. kind of really nutritious meals, right? Okay. It's a lot of fun. It's, like I said, very social. Um, so those are kind of ideas that I love to throw out there to families because there's no side effect of that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's only good. And there's just so much data out there that the healthier your lifestyle style is, the lower your risk is. So although they do say other things like having a glass of wine a day is also okay. Right? Yes, that's my favorite thing. That's my favorite thing too. I'm with you on that. Um, so but a lot of those things are more related to longevity than they are to prevention of Alzheimer's disease. But, um, you know, and so those would be, there's, there's really good biological evidence for why those things work too. So exercise leads to growth factors in your brain going up and okay. makes your neurons happier. And then mm -hmm. there's evidence you can grow new neurons when you do lots of these kind of, you know, trainings or, or cognitive exercises. So it's, it's for real. It's awesome. got a real impact. Oh, okay. That's great. And, and I'm guessing like, even for the typical population, like, you know, maybe you don't like doing crosswords or Sudoku or whatever, but just like learning a new skill mm -hmm. also yeah. benefit. Okay. Re just reading books, even <clears throat> documentaries, it's a little passive, but mm -hmm. just something that keeps you thinking and challenging and asking questions. And it could be whatever platform that happens. I mean, I love to play computer games. Mm -hmm. I play them all the time. And that keeps my brain really Active. challenged. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good to know. This is like so informative. Now, I, I know you've talked about like, you know, a healthy diet and, mm -hmm. and things like that. 
I have heard things about like the Mediterranean diet and an anti-inflammatory diet. I don't really know too much about that, but like, would that be something that maybe like the downstream population we should be leaning more towards like eating that way? I think any diet that takes you away from processed food Mm -hmm. is a good diet. And um, the Mediterranean food diet is rather interesting because there's again, so much strong scientific data Mm -hmm. to show it's a benefit to the brain um and there's also the mind diet uh, which i was going to check for you but i couldn't if i find it but if you google mind the diet it's it's a diet that's actually recommended by the uh, national institutes of health okay so what's beautiful about the mediterranean food diet is um it's all fresh food um and there's a heavy emphasis on fish and nuts and oils right okay the problem with it is not everybody can afford mm-hmm. to actually do that that diet. It's it's an expensive diet. Mm-hmm. So um, and you know, of course, when folks aim for perfection and they fail, they go the opposite direction. Right. Yeah. Right? So yes, if you if there's pieces of Mediterranean diet that you can easily incorporate, like even just including fish once a week, mm-hmm. or um, there's really good data that it's it's great for your brain. And that's the one that also includes the wine, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, now, the Mediterranean food diet by its nature is also anti-inflammatory. Okay. So a, a specific anti-inflammatory diet um, is probably totally fine as well. Um, I'm not as familiar with them. Because mm-hmm. I think, again, a lot of, whatever, whatever most of what you eat that's not processed is yeah. I have something that's good for your brain in there. Mm-hmm. And um, some of it will be through reducing inflammation. Some will be through reducing oxidative stress in your brain, um, like fruits and veggies. So um, I tend not to be extremist with the food suggestions. It's just if I can be extreme, the only thing I would say is just back away from the processed foods. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I've always thought too. That is, I mean, it's more work, it but is. it's better for you. So. It is. And I, you know, and also try to be sensitive. Not everybody can afford, mm-hmm. you know, some of these foods because they're expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But try to be more, uh, or le- lesser processed food and more, more natural or right. homemade right. food. Yeah. Yeah. And the more kind of combinations of fresh food, like fruits and veggies mm-hmm. give you a better source of vitamins and minerals than taking supplements. Of course. Right. And they they all kind of recycle each other. So, um, you know, I think everybody's good sense on that Mm -hmm. is right. Okay. Food for thought, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've also heard about other things such as aluminum and Mm -hmm. not to, for example, like use aluminum pans, don't use deodorants that have aluminum in them. Are you able to comment a bit about this? Sure. So um, thankfully, that was kind of a hypothesis that's been struck away. Oh, some okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so actually, it's interesting. I, I was at the University of Kentucky for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the director of my center there, Dr. Bill Marksbury, a fantastic neuropathologist, was actually one of the people to, to show that that wasn't true. Okay. So, um, so there is no risk from pots and pans or deodorant. 
but really kind of stirred that whole controversy up was that when you look at plaques in the brain, mm-hmm. they contain metals. Mm. They contain zinc, aluminum, iron, because they're kind of big sticky clumps that things get stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And the way that beta amyloid protein works, it binds to some of these metals. But we have buckets of zinc in our brain and you know, aluminum and we have lots of these metals in our brains. So the numbers just don't align that you know, using aluminum pots and pans leads to higher risk. Um, I think statistically that was somewhat debunked, but also biologically, it didn't make sense. Okay. Well, so that's good to know. About it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. I know there's, I mean, here anyways, it's, there's been like a real, um, I guess, I don't know if surge is the right word, mm-hmm. but using more like a natural deodorant. I, I've seen that a lot. Like it's become very popular here, you know, because people are saying don't use all with all the chemicals in it and aluminum. And, right. and so, and I kind of thought it was sort of associated with the whole Alzheimer's thing. So that's really interesting. I had never heard that they had debunked that. So that's very yeah. interesting to know. Yeah. But everybody was very concerned for a long time. So I think we figured it out. Okay. Fantastic. Now, how do we know if someone with Down syndrome has Alzheimer's as opposed to regression, because I've been hearing a lot about regression lately. Uh-huh. And is it often misdiagnosed? I'm assuming probably yes, but you're the expert. So there's even a bigger expert than me on this. And okay. I, I, can, I can tell you about some of what he's doing. Um, so regression, and it's, I'm hearing this a lot more frequently too, and it's really concerning to me. There's mm-hmm. it's really not a nice thing. Um, is typically affecting young adults and children. Oh, wow. So one kind of easy, quote unquote, easy way to think about this is I see regression as um, separate from Alzheimer's and changes in, in cognition with dementia because Alzheimer's is really happening over 40 and regression is much more frequent under 40. Okay. So here's how I would think about it. If somebody who is 25 years old started to show signs of progression. Alzheimer's is the last thing I would think about. Okay. Okay. If somebody was 50 and showing quote unquote signs of progression, the first thing I would think of is Alzheimer's disease. So kind of a 30,000 foot level way to look at this Mm -hmm. is if a person's younger, Mm -hmm. it's probably regression. If they're older, it's probably, I'm not going to say they don't, there is an overlap at times. Um, so there's really a, fa- a fabulous pediatric neurologist down here in uh, LA. His name is Jonathan Santoro, and he has dedicated himself to understanding this and trying to find ways um, to manage and bring people back. And his idea really is focused around inflammation. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I think if again that's an interest of you and your families, um, I'd love for you, him to talk with you about it. I would love to. Absolutely fantastic. Okay. Because like, cause when I was like, I'm on a whole bunch of different forums. And so I asked questions in a couple of forums and and this one came up a lot about the regression. And I remember it was about a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Someone posted in one group that their 19 year old daughter had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so when I kept hearing, and like, when you just said like 25 or under, it's the last thing you should be looking at is Alzheimer's if they're over 50 or 45, that's something you should be looking at. So like, 
which is terrible because now she's was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, and, mm. but really it was, I'm sure it's regression. Right. Yeah. So two things, this tells you two things. Number one, that situation is being probably, this is a bit of a strong word, mismanaged medically. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but it also highlights the lack of education for our physicians. Mm -hmm. And there are many, many groups, including you, trying, educating families is absolutely, we have to do it. And families can go to their doctors and say, no, this is how, what I've read, here's, there's actually some really nice man, manuals, guidelines okay. of what to take to your doctor, say, hey, I need mm -hmm. you to check these things. Um, but we're also trying to educate doctors because mm -hmm. a person with experience with, with Down syndrome would not diagnose that person with Alzheimer's disease. And I'm not, again, careful with what I'm saying about mm -hmm. the doctor. It could be limited information or education. Of course, yeah. Of it is. And, you know, frankly, some of this stuff there are is not built into any health guidelines that doctors can use, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're watching the literature, um, you know, that's not something they might know. They know about the Alzheimer's risk and then jump yeah. to that immediately, but didn't consider the regression. Yeah. Right, which is, you know, becoming a little bit more clear. Yeah, because I've, I mean, I guess maybe also because Ainsley's a little bit older. I mean, she's only nine, but I've been hearing probably in the last year, maybe two more about regression. Yeah. I, I don't know why that is, or if it's just because people's kids are at that age where it's starting to show up, or if it's just yeah. becoming more, more prevalent. So, but I think that's really good to know that, you know, it's different. It's not on, it's not Alzheimer's if it's at a young age. And yeah, I definitely w would like to talk um, mm -hmm. I think that's a whole episode on its own it regression. And yeah. it, needs, it needs that focused attention. I think. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely do an episode on that. So thank you very much for that. And so in our loved ones with Down syndrome, you know, is there a difference in the diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's as opposed to later onset in the tip, like in the typical population, which is after age 65, because like early onset tends to be more aggressive right mm -hmm. so but is there actual differences between early onset as opposed to later onset or in down syndrome is it just considered alzheimer's right <clears throat> so if you alzheimer's is always the plaques and tangles so every all three groups get that right okay What's different across the three groups is how that pathology develops or okay. what causes that pathology. So in early onset Alzheimer's disease, we have genetic mutations. Interestingly, all of those mutations lead to more beta amyloid protein, okay? okay? Now you go to people with Down syndrome, we have too much of a protein, so we're making too much beta amyloid. Okay. Both groups are making too much beta amyloid. Then we have late onset Alzheimer's disease. We're not quite sure. I don't think necessarily people are making more beta amyloid. I think what most folks think is the ability to, to break down that beta amyloid and clear it from the brain slows down and then you get those plaques. So in my mind, I have a Venn diagram mm -hmm. where I kind of have people in the, with Down syndrome in the middle because that's my bias. <laughs> um, and I have familial Alzheimer's kind of overlapping on one side and mm -hmm. then late onset on the other side. So, um, 
So in terms of the biology, there's overlaps and some differences. In terms of the age of onset, familial Alzheimer's might even, is much younger a lot of mm -hmm. times. Although it depends on how old your parent was who had it. Okay. There's beautiful work at Washington University looking at this. And then in people with Down syndrome, we really do have pretty well-defined age epochs for things. Okay. And late onset, we have no idea. Right. right. Range of age, range of risk factors, the genetics are common. They're risk factors, um, which a lot of them relate to inflammation again, interestingly. Um, so that's kind of the way I might see all of those different kinds of Alzheimer's disease fitting together. Okay. Did I kind of answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Because it just, from what I had read, mm -hmm. is it seems, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that Alzheimer's in our children with Down syndrome can be more aggressive, mm -hmm. which kind of from what, again, what I've read is seems to be more prevalent in the early onset. And I was kind of wondering if there was really a real difference between the two except like except for age so um so yeah it's 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 very all very interesting i find it all very fascinating i mean because also because of my my family history of it um you know so you know i'm really hoping for something coming down mm -hmm. the pipeline right yeah. and you know you you mentioned about like how we have all these metals in our brains and things like that and I've often read about people doing like, and I don't know if you can speak to this, but like uh, a detox of, you know, and I mean, a lot of it is in the anti-vaccine kind of um, group, if you want to call it that. We're trying to get rid of all the toxins from our bodies. Is that something like that people could do for their uh -huh. kids with Down syndrome? So I would, number one, be very hesitant. <clears throat> um, this is, I think, a place where I see a lot of families of people with Down syndrome being taken advantage of. Okay. Um, in fact, it really upsets me sometimes mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there's these cocktails of supplements that you can take that will detox you and reduce all these things. And there's no there's not a drop of experimental data to support it. Or worse, there's not even any clinical data to show it's safe. Okay. So I really, really feel strongly about that. It's one of my soapboxes. Okay. <clears throat> as far as getting rid of metals in your brain, you need metals for your neurons to work. Okay. Okay. It's like you need, you need cholesterol and fat in your brain for mm -hmm. it to work. You go around depleting too much of that. You're going to cause a problem. So, um, and a lot of these metals are, I mean, there's metals in your blood. Um, mm -hmm. You need, you need them. So that's the thing, unless you have a, a real me metabolic problem, and it's usually genetic, that you cannot get rid of certain kinds of metals, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a medical condition and it's, you know, may or may not be treatable, mm -hmm. but for the average person, you know, your body knows how to turn that stuff around over. And, and this is where I think the healthy food and lifestyle okay. really <laughs> is a much better idea than trying to find a supplement that's going to clear aluminum okay. from your brain. Okay. Now don't, there is, there are a class of drugs called metal chelators, C-H-E-L-A-T-R-S, mm -hmm. that are being tested 
uh, is in clinical trials for Alzheimer's disease. And what they do is they do actually, you know, bind up those metals and then clear them through your blood and into your you know, kidneys and out. Um, that's like a group in Australia is looking at, and that has been going on for a lot of years and it's not really come to fruition. So okay. not sure. Okay. And a lot of things work great in mice, mm -hmm. but they don't work in people. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. No, good to know. Cause you, I kind of see a sort of a subset of people always talking about, not necessarily about the Alzheimer's, but about reducing the toxins and the metals in our body. So, okay. That's very okay. interesting to know. The ideas are good. I mean, mm -hmm. the premise is good, Yeah. but the practice is not. Okay. Good. So I remember, um, sorry, my daughter Ainsley, she has a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. And a number of people also asked me this is, is she at greater risk than someone with just Down syndrome and getting Alzheimer's? Yeah, and actually I had to do a little bit of reading to think about that. And um, I don't know if I necessarily have a clear answer. However, there's some work that suggests, and it came out of Arizona State University that people without Down syndrome, just middle-aged people who have autism are, um, over two times more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease. So that is the single kind of body of literature publications. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there's a lot of people looking at this question because autism is much, it seems to be more prevalent now. I yes. don't know all the, mm -hmm. and it actually makes me a little concerned because we're gonna have a lot of people with autism who are, let's just pretend they have the same rate or same risk of Alzheimer's as a general population there's going to be a group of people that are going to be really challenging to care for mm -hmm. when they develop dementia or even diagnosing it. So it's a whole other ball game there. Um, so I don't think there's a huge literature out on there right now. The few things that I have seen scattered here and there is that um, certainly for people with Down syndrome, I don't think it increases risk. Um, I think most times the biology is distinct from risk that you see for Alzheimer's disease, if that kind of makes sense. Okay. So they know what causes autism too, which is part of the problem. Yes, exactly. So right now they don't see a definitive additional risk. Correct. I would say right now, uh, just based on a quick look through, um, I have not seen a huge amount of evidence that there's increased risk. Okay. Well, I'm, I know for myself, that that's a big relief. And also for a lot of other parents that that's a, a relief, but I, like you said, I'm sure they're probably looking at it because uh, you're right. Like there's, it just seems like there's just so many more people just in the typical population being diagnosed with, with autism. And if they're at a greater risk, which for a disease that is already quite prevalent, like that's a huge impact on just our society. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what, just care, how, mm -hmm. how, just making sure everybody's getting a quality of care. And it's probably going to be different for people with autism on, on how we take care of them when they get to that stage. Yes, I agree. Yeah. 100%. So I suspect in the coming, you know, three, four or five years, there's going to be a lot more data coming out, looking at that because there's huge autism networks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Observational studies that people are involved with that have been running for a long time. Okay. So some of those might slowly be coming to fruition in terms of older people with down uh, with autism. Mm 
mm-hmm. and risk of Alzheimer's disease. So okay. we might have to just wait a little longer. Okay, well, we'll chat again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I remember when my mom had Alzheimer's, there was a huge variety of drugs and medication that she took. But because her kids are genetically different, would the drug protocol be different? And how is Alzheimer's treated in the Down syndrome population? Right. So, currently, um, people with Down syndrome with dementia are getting the same medications okay. as people with late onset Alzheimer's disease. Um, so I think there's five approved drugs. Um, I should know this better. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So, and it works sometimes for some people for a period of time, which is how it works for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I by in the when I go through that literature because I teach a class on this and every year I go and update my literature and I go look through all the clinical trials for people with Down syndrome to see what the latest is and all that good stuff and um, there was a group that writes these kind of meta study papers where they take all the clinical trials data from something and say overall there's no agreement that this drug works. Okay, so they synthesize all the data and they give a report. The most recent report for people with Down syndrome and all these Alzheimer's disease medications is overall, there's no evidence these drugs help. And unfortunately, there's some evidence that some drugs are associated with more severe side effects than what we see in the general population. Oh, wow. So here's my kind of take home message on this. Number one, trust your doctor. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, these medicines have a very good safety profile and uh, the doses can be slowly kind of ramped up to avoid some of the side effects, which tend to be GI, which is not great for people with Down syndrome who have problems there as well. Mm-hmm. And it may work really well for that person. Okay. And if that one doesn't work, there's other variations that could be tried. Um, and this is, everybody has to go through this process. There's mm-hmm. no drug there's some drugs that work better early in disease there's some some drugs that work better later in disease um but i think kind of the best approach that i see being used for alzheimer's in the general population is where we really need a clinician um is kind of manage all the behavioral symptoms around the disease Mm -hmm. and unfortunately it can lead to a lot of polypharmacy which is a bad thing Mm -hmm. Um, you don't know how some drugs interact with other drugs yeah but um, so the bottom line is we don't have good treatments, I think, for Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. I think at best now we can help manage and, and try to keep quality of life as high as possible. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even just changing the environment and lifestyle can have a huge impact on okay. how that person is doing in the home. And the drugs can help. Mm-hmm they will only help for a period of time, most likely. Okay. But, you know, there's, we can treat the anxiety. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. We can treat some of the depression. Mm -hmm. And depending on the stage of the disease, different things are going to help at different times. Yes, that's true. Okay. So right now there's nothing different from what we, how we treat Alzheimer's in the general population and late onset and people with Down syndrome. Okay. It's just, it's, they're not great. <laughs> and I don't mean it flippantly. Yeah, no, I understand. Just, you know, we're not there. 
we're not there yet. So, uh, like, so, or, I mean, you kind of touched on it, like, you know, the key should be like quality of life. And so is most of the medication currently more to slow the progression? And do you know, are they working on, I guess, a medication that would prevent it? I don't know, that's sort of, I guess, a loaded question, but. Oh, it's a good question. Um, the current treatments, um, most of them only treat the symptoms. Okay. There's one treatment, one, one medicine, galantamine, um, but there's some evidence that might slow the disease a little bit because it works a little differently than the other drugs. Okay. Neither one of, none of those will actually slow the biology of what's changing in the brain. Okay. However, um, if you go on clinicaltrials.gov, which is the U.S. listing of every single clinical trial ongoing in the country, and you can put in search terms for Down syndrome, you can okay. see all the clinical trials that are going. And Canada has the same version of that. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes, it's all um, it's all publicly available, and um, it's there's there's a whole. It's really fun to look out, and that's another thing I used to update when I taught about this. Um, there's a lot of studies that are just re-examining the currently approved drugs. Okay. Um, there's a lot of studies looking at lifestyle interventions, more mm -hmm. exercise, you know, um, and all of those things in theory, we think are, you know, the lifestyle, certainly we, we hope they're going to change the biology. Mm -hmm. um, so all that to say that currently available treatments don't change the biology. Um, there was a new drug approved, the vaccine, um, and, which was very controversial. It's a whole other story. <laughs> um, this vaccine removes beta amyloid from the brain. Oh, wow. Yes, in theory, oh, wow. Um, it seems to clear beta amyloid from the brain when you do brain imaging. You can see that it gets somewhat cleared. All the, you know, the blood says and the cerebrospinal fluid says, yes, it's doing what it's doing. There just isn't a huge benefit to cognition at this point. Oh, okay. So there's a still a lot more work to be done. If anything, I think most folks, I would agree that a vaccine is better as prevention mm -hmm. rather than you can get rid of all that, those plaques in your brain, but your neurons have been sitting there mm -hmm. all that time being damaged and, and you need to figure out how to bring them back, right? Right. Um, so we really need to focus on prevention, but we also need to be careful not to forget about people who are in mild or moderate or severe parts of the disease because mm -hmm. they're worth continuing to explore new options. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So the whole field is really is really going prevention. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you if you play around on clinicaltrials.gov, it's it's really interesting. And actually, as I said, I, I'll email you the uh, the Canadian version of that. But there might be clinical trials that you're interested in and your families okay. are interested in helping with. Yeah, we'll definitely post the links on our show page um, because that was also one of my questions. It's about like how people can find out about different trials and and things. And so, like, are so like you sort of answered it, but like, do you know if any of the large, I guess, pharmaceutical companies are looking for new treatments or just or even a vaccine? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's still a very active area. I was just at the Alzheimer's meeting in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And um, there's probably three or four more vaccines that 
by different companies that are going to go to FDA for approval soon. And they all they all kind of work on the same premise to you know get rid of beta amyloid plaques from the brain. Mm-hmm. There's vaccines being developed for the tangles. Wow. They'll be I'm sure being tested right now and will come online at some point. Um, and in theory, all of those things may not just be treatments, but could be ways to prevent. Yeah. And um, then there's, I think there's some drugs, they're really looking a lot at anti-inflammatory classes of drugs. Mm-hmm. And another active area is to repurpose drugs. So um, mm, okay. drugs that were used for another disease, mm-hmm. but have a certain mechanism of action that could help for people with Alzheimer's disease. So there's still lots of work like that happening. Wow, that's very exciting. So mm-hmm. yeah, okay, that's exciting. Now. We talked about this like before we started about a, a friend of mine mentioned that she knew uh, someone whose child was uh, part of um, a study at Duke at the Duke Down Syndrome Clinic. And she was part of a, a trial there and her cognition levels drastically increased during the trial. And as it turned out, it was an Alzheimer's medication. Uh, the trial ended and then the family had to fight to continue the meds because obviously they wanted to keep their child on it because she had shown such great improvement. Like, do you know if there's something like this? I mean, I guess it's like almost opening a can of worms, but mm-hmm. is, is there, is there something like this that could or would be available to the Down syndrome community? You know, like, I think my daughter would really benefit because I, you know, she's, I mean, she has a dual diagnosis and I think her autism affects her more greatly than her Down syndrome, even though I don't think her on the grand scheme of things that her autism is that bad compared to other kids with a dual diagnosis. But mm-hmm. I feel like she could improve a lot. But so I'm just wondering if there's something maybe on the horizon that's maybe potentially available to families with kids with Down syndrome for something like this. Right. And that was, this is one of those unusual situations where it's a, a drug that's used to treat far older people mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's disease. So it's not indicated for use by children with Down syndrome. Okay. Okay. So, um, and this is probably where I'm not the best person to talk to about it, but it's frustrating when clinical trials happen and families observe a benefit and they figure out later they truly that their loved one was on the active treatment, not that they didn't get the placebo. Mm-hmm. And then the trial ends and it's like, can you keep me on this like forever? Cause it's just so fabulous. And um, I don't think necessarily, I don't know how that works in the medical community. If there's quote unquote off label use for drugs under certain conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a way to do that. Um, so it's just a frustrating situation that um, I've seen that this drug has been tested in a lot of different studies now for younger people with Down syndrome okay. and young adults as an idea to improve cognition because how it works is it keeps um, one of the neurotransmitters in your brain, it keeps it out there longer so your neurons can talk to each other better. So okay. in theory, why shouldn't it work right. for younger people, right? Yeah. In fact, for all of us. Uh, <laughs> and so... But, but the papers I've seen published on it is that overall, it doesn't do better than the placebo. Hmm. And, um, you know, that's the nature of how and why we do clinical trials. And I think everybody would recognize there's always individual people 
that benefit from something right the rest of the group does not so i think the best advice is you know um if the family wants to reach out to their doctor and see if there's a way to have that prescribed off label but a a good healthy discussion of the possible long-term and side Mm -hmm. effects of that is warranted of course of course yeah we were talking earlier about this sometimes in these clinical trials for um, people with down syndrome little ones and adults etc researchers may not be asking the right questions mm-hmm. you know maybe we're not asking well, what do you think right your son or daughter's doing better instead what we're saying is are they doing better on xyz and you're going no 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 but they're doing better on this but we don't mm-hmm. ask the question right and i'd like to see that change a lot because if anything I've learned in talking to families is, wow, I get way more insights and ideas talking to families about what they're seeing when you don't make them answer specific questions. That Interesting. Kind of makes sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm kind of guessing here, but like the research might be looking at one specific thing, but then right. there's, like you said, some drugs have a benefit to another uh, disease or condition and mm-hmm. the parents are seeing a benefit here that the researchers weren't expecting or even looking at. So or measuring exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately this is the nature of how we have to do clinical trials. We have of to course. think in advance. We're only going to look at uh, their ability to hear 60 Hertz frequency. Mm-hmm. And that's our protocol. And that's all of the only thing we can measure. Meanwhile, families are saying, Oh my gosh, you know, my son or daughter can now solve problems at a level years above their, their grade level kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is the nature of clinical trials. So, but all that to say is I would like to encourage families just to keep talking. Okay. Put the, you know, put these things on Facebook, Twitter, the more stuff I see like that and other people in my area see that that's going to give us ideas of things to, to look at. Okay. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. Now you touched on that you recently attended the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in San Diego. Is there anything exciting that you learned that people are working on in relation to our kids with Down syndrome? So it was an older one, right? Older, mm-hmm. it's, it's aging. Um, I think the whole area of uh, working, working with people with Down syndrome as they're getting older, trying to find the earliest signs that might suggest they're gonna convert to dementia in ways that are really not invasive and not mm-hmm. burdensome is like amazing. That was some of the most amazing stuff I saw at AASC this year. Um, other uh, sessions were related to lifestyle modifications, risk mm-hmm. reduction. And again, there's beautiful work going on, very systematic work so we can really understand it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's coupled to a lot of biological outcomes. So brain imaging, or blood samples so that we can really understand the biology of it. Because the more we understand that, then the more we can say, hey, this should work for people with Down syndrome because their blood has this kind of profile. Um, so anyway, and there was a lot of discussion of vaccines. Oh, okay. Um, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Good and bad because um, not everybody's convinced they're hitting the mark. And mm-hmm. um, it's a very expensive treatment down here. It's 56000 a year. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's co- with some coverage. Wow. So um, it's a very controversial area right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and vaccines, you know, beta amyloid vaccines for people with Down syndrome 
we have to be very careful and take baby steps, mm -hmm. seeing if those work. And there's clinical trials that are going to come online probably in a year that okay. are for people with Down syndrome and uh, with a special emphasis on safety. So, that's, um, yeah. that's exciting. So that's that should be happening within a year or two. Okay, so people can look on that link yes. to see fact, to, to watch for it. Right, and 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 it'll you know social media will probably we use that a lot. Okay, that'll be out there that we're open. We're going to be recruiting. You know, this is the kind of person we're hoping will join the study. What's involved? Um, but to my understanding, you know, my thumb on the pulse, probably a year to two. Okay, that's fantastic. And. Um, in your opinion, do you think there will be like a drug protocol available at some time in the future that our kids can take to help? I mean, you kind of touched on it to slow the onset of or even pre prevent Alzheimer's in our kids. Yeah, you know what? I think if anything, we have a better chance of success with that for people with Down syndrome mm -hmm. um, because we know the trajectory, we know when things are going to happen. So, yeah, I could envision kind of a guideline that doctors would use. Oh, your son and daughter's 18 now. Okay. We're gonna start this or mm -hmm. we're gonna do a vaccine for a year or, um, you know, there might be other drugs that are developed that keep beta amyloid levels stay in the brain very low. Okay. Maybe we'll learn how people with Down syndrome are dealing with all this pathology and clearing it out so quickly before they're 40. Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest, and I think, most people in the field would agree it's not going to be a silver bullet. Right. Yeah. You know, now doctors are, are being able to prescribe lifestyle modifications. Mm -hmm. They're prescribing three days a week walking, you know. Um, so that's how I, I think it's going to be kind of a more of a holistic yeah. approach. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's probably going to change depending on the age, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I kind of would like to see it because not every doctor sees a lot of people with Down syndrome mm -hmm. and I'd love for them to have, here's what you should do. It's fantastic. But I'm just kind of not sure, I'm gonna wing it. You know, yeah. Sure to do that. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Like, thankfully, like I love our pediatrician, and mm -hmm. and she said in their clinic there seems to be a lot of people with Down syndrome. So, and she mm -hmm. seems to be very on top of things, she's which which I love, and she's really fantastic. So, That's yeah, like I've you know, and it's it's in the city where I used to live, and uh, but you know, I, I'll keep going back there because I mean, it's a little bit of a drive, not bad by any stretch, but. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll because I love her so much that I'll keep going to her, you know, because I think it makes a huge difference when you have a good pediatrician and a good team, you know, working with your child. So always I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Dr. Head or Dr. Liz, you know, I really want to thank you so much for speaking to me today. This was absolutely fascinating. I learned so much on such an important topic. And I know so many people will really appreciate the information that you've provided with us, provided us today. Great. It was my pleasure and happy to chat again as the field kind of keeps moving forward. We will definitely do that. Thank you. So Mary, this must be something that keeps you awake at night, especially with your family history. Most definitely. It's 
a little unnerving at times and it's pretty scary but they're learning so much and it's exciting to know that down syndrome may actually be the key to solving this really devastating disease and you know it was really exciting to talk to dr liz about like the different things that they're doing and just also ways that we can help our kids you know help to slow it down uh you know and and also what to look for and you know we talked a little bit about regression and alzheimer's and regression is something very different and you know i want to do a whole episode on that but you know just for things that parents can look at and and because you know education knowledge is power in my opinion and so if you have these tools to to work with i think it can only help you and and help your kid too absolutely absolutely and more and the better information you have the the better you will sleep at night yes most definitely <laughs> so where are we going next time we are going to talk to uh sarah from the dsrf and we're you know our we'll favorite organization for that for me our favorite organization yes my our favorite place so yeah so we'll talk to her about often dealing with some difficult behaviors in our kids and what we can do about that and you know talk about stimming and some of the challenges around that as well so i'm excited for that conversation as well stimming on the autism side yes did did, did down did, did uh, children with down syndrome did they do stimming if they don't if they're not have an autism diagnosis or is that a sign every, to look for you know everyone does stimming to a certain degree like you might like flick your pen or shake your knee a lot like so sometimes it's just really i think everyone does it to us to a certain degree uh it's just often with autism it's impacting you more okay so, well we'll yeah. look forward to learning more about that yeah me too all right <laughs> Let's walk away from this one. Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your stories, what's going on in your life, what's important to you. You can send me an email at info at T21mom.com, or you can also find me on Facebook. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at trisomy21mama. And it would also mean a lot if you would like and subscribe and leave us a little review so we can be a little bit more searchable for others in the Down syndrome community. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.